Pastor, we thank you for your grace, for your presence. We thank you for your mercy and for your loving kindness, Lord God. You truly are worthy of all praise and all glory. And we honor you today, Lord. Hallelujah. Come on and give God a hand of praise. He is worthy. Hallelujah. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter chapter 2, and we will begin reading in verse 13. When you got it, say so. It says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free Yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Lord, we thank you for your word and your truth, Heavenly Father, that liberates us. Lord God, that empowers our lives, that we would be able, Heavenly Father, to go forth and be gospel witnesses, Lord God, in our society and in the earth in our days. God, I just pray today that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit says to your church. God, that we would leave here better equipped to be the light that shines brightly in darkness. We thank you for this and we give you all praise. In Jesus' name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Well, praise the name of Jesus. Do we not serve an awesome God? Praise God. Really quickly, as I start, I just want to share, um, there was one announcement that I want to make, and in the lobby area, we know that we started a Bible study or a study, it's a book study that is obviously scriptural, and it is called The Wake Up Call, and we will be offering that on Mondays, not this Monday, but beginning next Monday, and so the reason why this is important is because we're doing it on Wednesday nights, but what I'm, what I'm also doing is I'm offering a Monday night class for those who are unable to make it on the Wednesday nights, okay? Um, there's some people that are in the mentoring program with Pastor Robert. There's some people who teach and, you know, different, different situations. Some people, your job doesn't allow you to make it on Wednesday nights. And so what I want to do is I want to make sure that everybody is able to get this, this study and able to connect with the body. So what I do need is if you are planning on signing up, I've had a couple of people call me or email me and ask me about the Monday night, but I haven't had anybody sign up, and I need you to sign up so I know who is going to be there, because I don't want to come out to church and just be standing here by myself, amen? And if you're going to do it on Monday nights, I'm going to need your commitment, because I'm going to be preparing, and I'm going to be making sure that I open my schedule for that time, amen? So commitment is important, hallelujah. And so, to the scriptures here, we look to the book of First Peter, and as we are going through this series, this is the seventh message in this series, and looking at this portion of scripture, if we were to go ahead and we were just to take the subtitles that some of our Bibles, some of your Bibles have, you would see something that says submission to government. I want to entitle this message today, Submission to Government is Missional. I'll say it again, Submission to Government is Missional, and what I mean by that is, we, gotta, we have to realize something, the word 
word, the first word in this particular portion of scripture that we're going to deal with this morning is the word therefore. And if you remember a few weeks ago, if you were here, if today's your first day or if you happen to miss that service, I said that therefore is likened to the Salah that we find in the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, as you read through certain Psalms, you will find to the right-hand side there is something Salah. And, and, and a lot of people, when you first become a Christian and you don't know much about the Bible, you're like, what is that about? What is that for? Do I read it? Does it mean something? And what it means is pause and meditate. It means look back on what you just read and meditate on that. When you look at this word therefore, it's a same thing he's connecting his prior statements to what he is communicating and so when you read therefore in your bible or because or whatever the when you see those words those are connecting statements and what you need to do is look backwards a little bit to see what is he connecting with this thought here the reason why i say this is because what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency and in, in, in our class that we had yesterday for the covenant couples we were talking about something that men typically do not saying that women do not do this but men are more the ones who are guilty of doing this and there's something called compartmentalizing and so what happens is you will take a situation you will take a circumstance that you go through that may be difficult maybe hard and what you would do is you will compartmentalize it put it over here you won't deal with it ignore it or whatever the case may be and you continue on living life and in our Christianity, sadly, we do the same thing sometimes. And what we want to do is we want to compartmentalize certain areas of our life. We want to separate this area. And so even though we shouldn't think this way, you know, we want to have a mindset that's likened to a lot of secular folk. You know, there's a separation between my Christianity and my regular life. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Some of us have that mindset. Yeah, there's a separation of church and state, you know, according to some, you know, people and, and some, the, the way that they think. But we as Christians, we decide, well, I'm going to separate this. But here's what you got to get. When the apostle Peter is communicating here and he is saying, therefore, he's, what he's doing is he said, wait a second, because of what I just said, you need to do this. We dealt with this last week because we talked about when we dealt with the first portion of chapter 2 in the book of um, 1 Peter, what we learned was that Jesus Christ is this living stone, right? We learned that he's a living stone, and then we are likened to the same thing, and, and the Bible says that we are living stones as well. And so we get our identity, we talked about this, from Jesus, not anything else, not accomplishments, not failures. Those things do not define us. Jesus needs to be the one who defines us. If not... If something else defines you, you have an idol in your life and you need to repent of that. If there is something else that you are living for, if there is something else that you are aspiring towards other than bringing glory and honor to God, you need to really check your heart and really let God deal with that because our identity, who we are, needs to come from Christ. Well, out of that identity, we know that we are living stones and he is doing what? He is building a spiritual house. Say building a spiritual house. He is building a place to dwell. He is building a place where he is going to dwell among his people in this earth. He is not solely trying to dwell among you and I as individuals, but he is building a global body, a place where he can dwell. This is the reason why we talked about doing what? We talked about building these prayer altars in our home and establishing a place where God can dwell and God can rule and he can manifest and move as he desires. Amen? So what happens is Jesus Christ, a living stone, we we are living stones, so we get our identity from him. Out of our identity, what is the purpose that he's building this spiritual house for? So we can offer spiritual sacrifices. 
What are spiritual sacrifices? It's worship. So Jesus is our identity. Out of our identity, we worship him. But then the next thing goes on in this description that I want us to look at. Look at verse 12 so we can bring, up, bring you up to verse 11 so we'll walk ourselves up to verse 13. He says, beloved, I beg you, mind you, we've already established that we have Jesus as identity. We've established that we've been chosen to proclaim his praises, to offer spiritual sacrifices as worshipers. And then he connects that with the lifestyle of mission. And so he says, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, reminding us of what was communicated in chapter, uh, in chapter 1, that we are not of this world, that we are here, but we are sojourning. We're just passing by. He said, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul. He goes on to say, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so what he is saying is, out of your identity, out of your worship, comes your mission. And so now, you live a life in the midst of a world that does not know Jesus. And you live that life as a living stone. You live that life as one who has hopefully been transformed by the power of God and is able to reflect the life, the love, all that God is. And so that's what we're supposed to be doing. And he says, don't let yourself give in to your carnal desires. Don't let yourself give in to your fleshly desires because those things war against your soul. Those things are trying to entrap you and bring you under bondage. But he says, go, don't give in to those things, but live in an honorable way before the world, before Gentiles, before those. And what's the purpose? He says, so that way when they are visited by God, they will glorify him. Because what does God want to do? He wants to bring salvation to lost people. He wants our life not to be a stumbling block to those who don't know Jesus. He wants our lives to be a place where they can step up to higher ground through looking at our lives and get a better view of who God is and the way that God is. Therefore, we need to consider some things. And so what the apostle does here is he communicates these things to us. The reason why this is important is because we cannot just take what we look at the scriptures and say, well, this, this particular heading in your Bible, it may say submission to government, as I said earlier. We take this heading, and we just say, okay, this is just talking about submission to government. Let's just move on, read through it real quick, and not even pay attention to it. There is a reason why the apostle puts that in there, because that is part of us being missionaries in the world that we live. It is part of us living out a life that brings glory and honor to God and making sure that when people who don't know Jesus see us, they see something different in regard to our relation and our understanding of the governing authority. Somebody say amen, please. As God's chosen people that he declares that we are, we must never lose sight of our true purpose as the church. On Wednesday night, we were having the dialogue and, and discussing the book and talking about the condition of the church. And Sister Michelle Bennett, she said, you know, I think that we have lost our, you know, way in, in a collective sense as the church as to what is the purpose of the church? What, it, what, what, what is it that the church is supposed to be doing? And I've said this before. I've told y'all when I, you know, when I post stuff on Facebook and I say things, you know, doing, you know, being a do-gooder, man, that's not sharing the gospel and all this type of good stuff. But here, 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 here what I'm saying. My point is this is that we can get caught up in what we call the social gospel and we become social activists and we want to help the homeless and we want to feed the hungry and we want to clothe these folks and you know what all that's good because I think the book of Matthew like chapter 25 or somewhere around there it says that we should do those things amen 
But here is the point. The point is, those things are not the end. Those things are the means. The end is, share the gospel. Because what we will do is we will go and we will say, well, I fed someone who was, who, was, who was hungry. I clothed someone who was naked. I helped somebody who was homeless. And so we checked that off of our list. But did we do what the church is supposed to do? Did we share not just a, 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 a part of God's love, but did we let those folks know why we were doing what we were doing? And that on, in reality, we were simply acting on behalf of a loving, merciful, and gracious God. Did we do that? Because we lose sight of the purpose of the church. So what is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is to make disciples. Say make disciples. That's simple enough, right? It is to make disciples. Jesus said it clearly when he leaves his disciples in in, in the end of the book of Matthew chapter 28. We all know this scripture. This should be the mission statement of every person who bows their knee and bows their heart to Jesus. That as you go, make disciples. As you live, make disciples. That is the reason why my heart is for the church to understand that we are in this day, in this age, not needing to go overseas to be missionaries but we need to walk out of our front door and be missionaries. We need to walk into our workplaces and be missionaries. We need to go into grocery stores and be missionaries. We need to enter into marketplaces and be missionaries. Not waiting for some missionary type event or crusade, but we should constantly be on crusade for Jesus. On Wednesday, some of y'all thought I was joking around, but I said this. I said, you need to receive this right now. Receive it. See yourself as evangelist. I wasn't joking. I was, I was dead serious. I said, two things need to happen in order for you, in order for I, to be able to be the most effective in making disciples. One of them is we must be converted into intercessors. We must be people who are, bur- who are burdened, who are broken, who are desperately seeking God's face and prayer, who are coming to God on behalf of those who don't know God, who are coming to God on behalf of those who do know him. We have to be converted into those intercessors, and we also need to be converted into evangelists into sharers of the gospel see here's the thing we i, I was sitting down i forgot last night for for, for my birthday um i was sitting down and, and i was talking with Raphael, and you know he was he was saying you know man when, when he was talking about when he was growing up in church you know he grew up in a really um you know, intense Pentecostal environment. And he said, man, you know, he said some of those services, they were crazy. He said, you know, they were out of order because, you know, the pastor didn't want to offend anyone and, you know, all this type of stuff. He said, but man, let me tell you something. He said, you felt the power of God. And he said, and you knew, man, that God was doing stuff. There was some craziness that went on. Yeah. And that's going to happen. But what happened is this. And, and this is what I said to him. I said, you know what it was? I said, those folks understood the power of prayer. Those folks understood it wasn't up to the pastor to pray. They were praying for the pastor. It wasn't up to the leadership just to be the ones in prayer. They were on their face praying. Where do you think you get it from? See, some of y'all are a little bit new school, so you don't even remember this stuff. But here's what happened. When I first got to church, you know what used to be the first thing you did? You came straight to the altar, got down and prayed. It wasn't because you were being religious, because I know I never did it because I was being religious. I did it because I was seeking God, giving him first glory, first honor. Some of y'all come to church, you're giving high fives, hugs, all that good stuff. And I'm not telling you not to do that. My point is because to me, it doesn't matter whether I get down on the altar because I can be a religious fake and walk in the church door having prayed all week long. And the first thing I do because I know it's church protocol is come to the altar or bow down in my chair. You with me here? 
See, I can do that. I can know the protocol and realize that that was supposed to happen. But here's the point. The point is, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what anybody is speaking about when they're talking about what God wants to do. What he's saying is people are hungry for God's presence. And so what they begin to do is they begin to pray. They begin to intercede. I want, to just, I want you to just think about this. How much time in this week, in the last however many you know days, you know the last seven days since the last time that you saw me on Sunday, for those of you here that, that were here last Sunday, how much time did you spend praying for this service how much time think about it how much time did you spend praying for your bishop in his preparation how much time did you spend praying for the worship team in their preparation how much time did you spend did you spend praying for the people who were going to walk in the doors and sit next to you that know Jesus that may be going through stuff and desperately need an encounter with him how much time did you spend praying for those folks who were walking the doors not knowing Jesus? How much time did you spend doing that? Seriously. Because we all say, we will verbalize, I bet you we could sit down and talk to so many folks who are in churches all across the world, not just Faith Dome, and they will tell you they want a move of God. They want to be in a church that is on fire. They want to be in a place where the glory of God is dwelling. And we all want that. But what price are we paying for that? Any real man of God will tell you he accredits his ministry to some old lady that don't say a word but prays for him all the time. Glory to God. Not to offend anyone who is older. Amen. Hallelujah. Not saying you can't do anything else, but you know what you understand? You understand as you grow up, you can't do anything apart from God. And more than anything, a word that I can say, they need a move of the Holy Ghost. And you know how that happens? is by me being in a place of prayer, seeking God's face on their behalf. And that is the heart. And so what I'm saying is, let's not wait till we get old. Hello. Let's not wait until, you know, our strength is all gone to decide that we're going to become intercessors. Because, man, I can't do anything else. I can't move because I'm all, no, hello. While you can move and while you can still do things, let this become your heart. So the point is, I said, here's, here's why. This is what I said on Wednesday, and I'm repeating this, because I want you to get this. Okay, you need to understand that whenever, whenever you're going to have a big evangelistic event or you're going to have an activity, it is going to be a waste of time if it is not bathed and, and birthed in prayer. Did you hear what I just said? Let me say it again. Any big event you do, you go out and hand out tracts, you go and you do a big concert that's evangelistic in its heart, you do whatever it is you want to do. If that thing is not born and bathed in prayer, it is going to be fruitless in the, in, in the manner that that God would want it to be. Now, the reason why I say that is this, because you need to realize that every day of your life, as you call on the name of Jesus, and as you declare yourself a Christian, you are a missionary. You are an evangelist, and every day can be an evangelistic opportunity. Therefore, here's what needs to happen. I need to be an intercessor praying for the people that my brother evangelist, my sister evangelist is going to run into, because that is going to be a great moment of outreach and if we want to see change what do we have to do pray those things in 
So we have to have the mindset that, number one, I need to be an intercessor. I need to be someone who is on my face crying out to God, praying for my brothers and sisters, praying that God would burden their hearts, praying that God would lead them, praying that God would fill them with compassion and move them to share the life-changing gospel with people. And I need to pray for those who are going to hear the word, that the enemy would not be able to come and steal it, that their hearts would not be shallow, that the weeds and the worries and the cares of life would not choke up that word, but that that word would give fruit. That's what our job is to do. And then to be those ones to realize, wait a second, I am being prayed for. I am being, I am being commissioned by the Holy Spirit. I am being empowered by the Holy Spirit. I am being backed in prayer by a church that understands that God has called us into mission. Hallelujah. This is what the heart of God is. And that is what the Apostle Peter is saying. He is saying we have a purpose our lives are always on display for the world around us to view. And God's purpose is to bring his revelation to as many people as possible through us. And so as people see us live, as people see us love, as people see us work, as people see us correct and direct our families, as people see us engaged in different activities, they are getting a glimpse of how committed you and I are to Jesus. You hear that? They are getting a clear picture on how committed you and I are to Jesus. So we need to consider some things. Every comment that we make, every conversation we partake in, every action, which is a display of our attitude and our thoughts, should be thought through and governed by the Holy Spirit who empowers us to be gospel witness before a lost and sinful world. Everything that we do. I was sitting in, in, in a therapy session and... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm always praying. I'm like, okay, God, I, I need you to show me how can I, you know, share the gospel. You know, show me a way, you know, a way into the conversation. And those conversations don't always arise. But in this particular day, I don't know what happened, but there was one guy. He, he was talking about church with, you know, with the, with the girl who was a therapist. Um, we, you know, we all kind of sit around this table that's like a you. And an older guy, he was talking about church. And, you know, he was talking to her. I was over there doing some therapy thing on the wall. And, um, and then another guy comes in. And so when this other guy comes in, this guy, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to repeat what he said, but I am firmly assured that he is not a Christian. Hallelujah. By what he said, I, I, if I repeated it, you'd be like, wow, that was very vulgar. It was crazy. And he was talking to a young lady. This is an older guy. And so anyway, having this conversation. And I don't even know how this conversation got onto the president. And they started talking about, you know, Barack. And they were just going to, and, and they looked at me, right, you know, because I'm dark, right? Hallelujah. <laughs> So, obviously, I like Barack, right, because I'm dark. and <laughs> Glory to God. I thought I was funny. I, I thought it was hilarious. But anyway, you know, they looked at me. She looked at me. She's like, do you like Barack Obama? I'm like, no, not really. And so, you know, they kept on with their conversation, and they had the whole thing. And I sat there, and I was like, man, I could say, like, 95 things right now that would be just so horrible. And, I, and honestly, I, I didn't even know why I didn't engage in the conversation until later on, and I thought about it. I was like, if I would have engaged in that conversation... I would have totally just dishonored God with what I would, what I would have said because they weren't saying anything good. They weren't talking anything. They, they weren't having anything positive, uplifting. I mean, it was horrible what they were saying about that. Um, so the point of the matter is I had to consider for a moment, am I going to sit there and express whatever view? I, I mean, I don't know Barack Obama. Hello, somebody. Does anybody know him personally? Hello. Right? None of us know him personally. I can't talk about I can talk. I can tell you things that I see, right? But what, what, what good is that going to do to advance the gospel? What, this is the thing. And I remember we, we just went through, for, for those of you that were here, we went through eight chapters and we talked about biblical worldview. 
and we talked about all this stuff. Look, they were talking biblical worldview stuff. They were, I mean, they were, they were going off on all of these areas. And I sat there, and I was like, man, you know what? The one thing that I remember is when I, was, I told the class, Pastor Robert affirmed it. We're not trying to teach you all this stuff so you go out there and start arguing with folks. Hello. We're not trying to teach you all of these things so you go out there. Man, you're supposed to be a gospel witness and know where you stand. Amen? And so these conversations that we have, we need to consider what they are. Let me say this. Our attitude of submission is directly connected to our attitude about mission. Our attitude of submission is directly connected to our attitude about mission. I'm going to say this now, and I'll probably say this at the end as well. There's really two types of people that are in this place, the one that is the missionary and the one that is the mission. Did you hear me? There are two people in this place. You are either the missionary or you are the mission. Either or. And some of y'all call the name of Jesus, you're still part of the mission. Hello. What do you mean, Bishop? Because you're not out there as a missionary. We're still trying to convince you that you should be on mission. Hello, somebody. It is not to be offensive. It's just to be real. It is just to be honest and say, some of us, listen, we'll come to church. We'll do backflips for Jesus in the house of the Lord. We will will not be confined in our praise in any way. But when you get out there, mm mm-mm. You get out there, you, 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 you clam up. You, don't, you won't share. People start talking bad about your Jesus. You ain't got nothing to say. Hello. You hear people just, I mean, declaring they're Christian. And then the next sentence, the next paragraph, glory to God, out of their mouth is a whole defamation of who God is and a whole contradiction for what they're saying they believe. And you won't even speak up. Bishop, what are you saying, that you know that I need to be obnoxious? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that you need to be able to be a witness that is able to communicate. That's not the God that we serve. It doesn't mean you got to put someone on blast. Listen, you need to be wise. You see your professing brother or sister, right, saying some stuff that's ungodly. Don't put them on blast in front of everybody. Put them to the side. Say, hey, man, I heard you say you were a Christian, and you said A, B, C, and D. That was not God. That didn't align with Jesus, and you totally messed up. And that was horrible. And they're going to call you prideful and arrogant and you think you're all that and holier than that. And that's okay. You can handle that. But here's the thing. We have to understand we're either the mission or we are the missionaries. So which one are you? Which one are you? Are you the mission or are you the missionaries? Are you the ones that are going out and reaching the lost? We say it every week. We're committed to reaching the lost. We communicate that. A church that's committed to reaching the lost, raising the living. So we're committed to bringing people out of darkness and helping them grow in Christ. Amen? So which one are you? Are you out there? And listen, being a missionary is not easy. No one said it was going to be easy. But we are called to do that. And so Peter communicates and shows us these are the reasons why you do that. Submission to government. Let's look at this. Repeat this after me. So our submission to governmental authority is for the Lord's sake. And so Peter says in the beginning, he says, therefore, submit yourself. In verse 13, he says, therefore, submit yourself. That word submit means to come under in a a, a military formation. It means to submit yourself in that sense, to come in alignment with. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Verse 13 says that we do this for the Lord's sake. 
You do this because as a witness, when you are not walking with a submissive heart, then you are going to bring dishonor to glory or to God and not bring him the glory that he should be brought. We cannot, here you got to get this, we cannot effectively witness to the lost if we are in rebellion against the government, always talking about all the negatives, always talking about all the things that are just so wrong and so corrupt. And if we're not in alignment with that, how are we going to go and witness to people when we don't even pray for how? we supposed to how are we supposed to be witnesses like that listen to me church we understand we talk when, when, we, when we get together and we and we and, and we do bible study and we talk about the corruptions that are there listen there are some things you need to communicate there are some things that you need to say but you don't need to be out there and be some politician hello and let me say this since, since i'm on the po- political point here really quickly you need, to, you need to get delivered from your political affiliations. You need to affiliate yourself with Jesus. Amen? Because some of us are more concerned with, you know, this party, that party. We need, to, we, we need to really seek the heart of God. Read some of the stuff, and I wish I had the quote up here. But one of our founding fathers, he said it clearly. He said, it, it's wise of us to utilize our voting power to vote in Christians. Now, mind you, this is way back in the day when folks were a little bit less political, and more real to their convictions. See, today, it's, it, it, everybody's a Christian today. Everybody is a Christian today. So how do you measure? Well, you measure the kind of stuff that they stand for. That's how you look at those things. But forget, forget political parties. You are 100% devoted to who? Jesus. You want to bring glory and honor to him through the way that you operate in society. So you and I are pilgrims. We're not supposed to be living for this world but the world to come. So submission is an attitude that is directly related to our faith and our trust in God. I can only submit as much as I trust God. I can only submit as much as I trust him. Anybody, I, I've had conversations in, in, in chapter 3 we'll deal with husbands and wives and stuff like that. But here's the thing. I've had conversations with wives and, and, and with husbands, and they talk about, you know, their relationship with their spouses and how things go wrong, and they act way, you know, and they do certain things. And what happens is I immediately communicate to them. I say, you know what your problem is? Here's your issue. The issue is you don't trust God. Oh, yes, I do. No, you don't. If you trusted God, you would obey his word. Did you hear what I said? If you trust God, you will obey his word. The reason why you don't obey him is because you don't trust him. Because if you trusted him, you believe. I'll give you the example. You go to your child, my daughter. If I stand behind my daughter and I tell her, look forward, drop backwards. Just drop backwards in my arms. You think my daughter is going to hesitate and be afraid that daddy's going to drop her? No, because I've never dropped her before. Now, if I drop her, she'll be like, daddy, hold on a second. You sure you got this? You know, and obviously as we get older, you know, we start to be like, are you sure? You know, stuff like that. But the point of the matter is, ultimately, if you trust, you're going to obey what is communicated. And so when it comes to us being submissive in our society, especially toward those things that we're supposed to submit to, then the way that we do that is by what? Is by acknowledging, God, I trust you. I trust you as being in control, sovereignly in control, even when it doesn't seem so. Turn your Bibles with me really quickly. You can hold your place here in 1 Peter, but um, turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy because I want to show you how you really develop this right heart when it comes to the 
government and the leading authorities. First, First Timothy, just a couple of books back, chapter 2. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking here. First Timothy chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. You got to say amen. And the Apostle Paul says this, he says, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men. Let's pause for a moment. He goes, I just, just a second ago, I talked about how important prayer is, right? How important it is to seek God's face. And what is, his, what, what is Paul's advice here to Timothy to give to the church? It is that prayers, that supplication, that we come before God in intercession and giving of thanks. That we thank God for all men, not just some men. That we give thanks for him. And verse 2 specifically points out, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior. Verse 4 gives you the heart again. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so God is saying here, you intercede, you pray, you come before God. You give them thanks for whoever's in leadership or whatever the case may be. And you lift them up in prayer, crying out to God. You don't think they're saved because of their actions or their positions. Pray for their salvation. That is your job as a sojourner, as a pilgrim, and as someone who is part of this society. That is the way that we develop the right heart. Because when we have that heart, then we begin to respond differently. Just this morning, I was sitting down and I had, and, and I had, I had printed something out for someone. And... It was it, it was a it was someone's like profile on their MySpace, and when I, when I was sitting down, I, you know, when I printed out, I didn't even look at it. But this morning, as I began to read through this profile, man, tears began to come to my eyes, and my heart began to be broken. And all I could do was pray for this person's salvation. All I could do was pray for this person to be delivered. And so here's what happens: some people see this person's profile and know how this person is, and because of the damage and the things that this person has done, well, what happens is they want nothing to do with. Him. But you know what? While I may not want anything to do with him, God does. While I may not be able to stand the sight of that person, God wants to save them so that way that person can repent from whatever ill will, from whatever negative things they've done. And so it becomes the same heart and the same mindset when you are thinking about those in governing positions in the nation and those in leadership. When you think about those things and you have issues with them what is your responsibility as a christian to pray to seek god on their behalf and we're going to deal with some other practical stuff in a moment but i want you to get that this is where you get the right heart it is by you becoming a person who really prays for these things because i will tell you what if you are sitting down and you are praying about stuff you are sitting down and you're really coming before god you want to know what happens when you really allow god to deal with your heart this is the reason why making just you know casual prayer is not is not good enough because here's what happens when you go and you pray casually about something you don't get that burden off your heart and you know what happens when you have a burden on your heart let me tell you what the bible says about a burden Look at this. Read the Old Testament, and you're going to notice something. It says, the burden of the Lord came, and the prophet spoke. Because what? Something weighed their heart down. So they opened their mouth. When you have a burdened heart, you know what happens? You're going to talk about it. 
You're going to express what is on your heart because inevitably you're going to be in a position and you're going to have to open your mouth and say something. Somebody at some point is going to push enough buttons or the topic is going to overwhelm you. And because you have only casually brought this before God, you haven't truly come in supplication and intercession before him, then what happens? And before you know it, you end up saying things that you regret later on simply because you didn't bring it before him and get the burden off your heart and lay that burden at his feet. Very important for us to understand how we get the right heart regarding our government. So you can mark that scripture. You can turn back to um, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll continue on here. Say this with me, the second thing. Our submission to governmental authority is the Lord's will. Look at verse 15 with me in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, for this is the will of God. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And so submission to government, submission in the right way is the will of God because through that, you silence those ignorant people, those people who are foolish, you silence them. I gave you the testimony, and you know what? It was only a couple of minutes that these people were talking about their government complaints and all that stuff. Before you know it, they were moving on to other stuff. Glory to God. It was only for a few moments that they were able to stay there. But when you start engaging conversation and you start adding fuel to the fire, you know what happens? That ignorant stuff becomes even more and more and more. And you never get to the place where you're able to do what God wants you to do. And so what is the enemy called in the Bible? In the New Testament, the book of Revelation, he is called the accuser of the brethren. He is the accuser of the brethren. Remember, our lives are always on display. And so what does the enemy want to do? The enemy wants to make you look bad. That's what he desires to do. God wants to reflect himself and show himself through you and I. But the enemy wants to hinder us, and he is always trying to disgrace believers before the world. Therefore, we have to have the right attitude of submission. So as you and I walk in submission according to this scripture, and we do good, we do good for our nation by walking in that submission, praying and interceding for our leaders, what do we do? We honor God and we illuminate those who do not know God. As we walk with the right heart, as we walk with the right mindset, as we walk the way that we're supposed to, we begin to do that. But then here's, here's the beauty of this. He says when, 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 when God, by his grace, silences these ignorant people, what happens when people are silent and have nothing else to say? You have an opportunity to talk, don't you? When they have nothing else to say, you have an opportunity to talk. And here's the question. What are you going to share with them? The gospel. What are you going to share with them? What they really, really need. You are going to share what you have been praying over, which is what? Their salvation. You are going to share what you have been praying about, the revelation of God into their lives. And, when, and, and here's the thing, when two people are talking, nobody's really listening, okay? Hallelujah. Sometimes women, they, they have a special ability, but, right? For the most part, for the most part. When two people are talking, especially if they're talking about different subjects, no one is listening. But when there's silence, you're able to communicate. 
The door for the gospel is open. Evangelism is open. And so that is what God Almighty does when we walk according to his word in submission to, leadership, to, to the leadership of our nation and to those institutions. It's important that we understand this, that we get this. And, and, and I want to make this clear as well. When I talk about walking in submission, submission is an attitude. And here is the thing. You submit unless you're put in a position. And when I say submit, you submit regardless. But what you do is you have to consider some things. Is something that I'm asked to do going to make me directly violate Scripture? If something that I am asked to do directly violates Scripture, then I don't do that. But I don't get all disrespectful and crazy about it either. Amen? Third thing we'll say is this. Freedom in Christ does not free us to be a law unto ourselves. Let's say it again. Freedom in Christ does not free us to be a law unto ourselves. In other words, being free in Jesus doesn't mean you make up the rules. Being free in Jesus doesn't mean you just do whatever you want to do because I'm free. Hello, somebody. You see, when you look at this in context of the whole government thing, you got to get this. What, they, what, what he's saying is this. He's saying people come to Jesus and they say, well, I'm a Christian and I'm in allegiance with the Lord of Lords. I don't need to listen to any more government leaders. I don't need to listen to any of the laws of the Lamb. I don't need to obey anything because I can do whatever I want to do because I've been freed from all of that stuff. No, that is not the truth. As Christians, we have been set free by the blood of Christ, by the word of God, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. God is our supreme judge. God is the ultimate lawgiver. And God is the Lord of lords of our lives. Yet, when you and I rebel and we walk in an unsubmissive way toward his delegated authority, Scripture says we sin against him. That's what the Scriptures teach. So when I walk in rebellion against his authority, when I walk in disobedience against his authority, who am I fighting with, them or him? I'm fighting with God. I'm in opposition to God. I am rebelling against him. It's important for us to understand this because when we start talking about submission, we start asking questions. Well, should I just be silent? Should I never speak up? I want you to understand. It is important that, that you realize that when you exercise your rights, that is not rebellion. We must be discerning as to when we should exercise rights and when God is calling us for his sake to submission that may cause us suffering or when he is walking us through a process. I'm going to give you two scriptures that you can look at to confirm this in the New Testament because I don't want to just give you Old Testament examples. But if you look at Acts chapter 22, we're not going to turn there. Well, you can turn there if you like, but you might miss what I'm trying to say. But if you look at the book of Acts chapter 22, verses 22 through 29, and the book of Acts chapter 25, verses 1 through 12, those are two areas dealing with the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. After the cross, if we go before the cross, we can see plenty of times that men of God went against what the government was trying to say in order for them not to disobey God. You can look at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can look at all of these different people in the Old Testament that didn't just go along with stuff because it dishonored God. But here's the thing I want you to see with Paul here. What Paul does is something different. If you remember, when Paul comes to the churches and he's leaving, he says that he doesn't know what's waiting for him in Rome except that there is going to be suffering for him. That's what he knows. 
And in one place, they were, they were there, and, 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 and a prophet came. I think it was Agabus or whatever the case was. And this prophet comes, and he ties his belt around his wrist, and he says, you know, this is what's going to happen to the man. And the people start falling on Paul's neck. And that's not in this portion. That's earlier than this. I'm, I'm trying to bring it all together. But what happens is, you know, Paul, they're falling on his neck like, man, Paul, don't go, don't go, don't go. And Paul says to them, listen to me. What are you doing crying like this? I'm not ready just to suffer. I am ready to die for the Lord. This is his mindset. He is like, I'm not, I, I'm not worried about, I, I am ready to die for God Almighty. I am ready to die in order to bring glory and honor to God. Well, as Paul continues on in his, in, in his mission for God, he gets arrested. And when he gets arrested, he gets arrested because of these false accusations. And we come over here to chapter 22 in the book of Acts, and you'll find something, that the apostle Paul is about to get beaten. He's about to get beaten. He's about to be scored, so he's about to be whooped pretty good. And he opens his mouth and he says to them, is it legal for you to beat a Roman without them going to trial? Time out. Hold on a second. This is the Apostle Paul who rebuked the people in the church for trying to keep him from fulfilling his mission. But he seems like he's contradicting himself because he opens his mouth and he, and he, and he, and he goes and he throws his citizenship card out there. The Bible says these people get afraid and like, hold on a second, man. We can't beat a Roman. This is not going to be a good thing. Paul goes on ahead, they bring, you know, they bring him before, you know, the, the, the main leader of the group there, and, and, and he's like, you know, how'd you get this, this citizenship? You know, I paid a lot of money for it. And Paul is like, man, I was born a Roman. So they go through this whole conversation. What's my point? My point is, he exercised his right, and he was okay for that. And you want to know why he exercised his right? Because that was a beating he didn't need to take. Did you hear me? Let me say that again. That was a beating he did not need to take. There are beatings that we need to take. There, he, like, Bishop, I don't want to get beat. Listen to me. There are certain processes in your life that feel like beatings. Hello. And you need to go through them. There are things in my life I could go back through the list of stuff that I experienced that were painful, that were hurtful. And in order for my character to become what God wanted it to be, I needed to go through those things. But... There are other beatings by, I won't take those beatings today. Not because I'm prideful, not because I'm arrogant. It's because I know, okay, God, this is something I got to go through. And then there are other things, time out. I, do, do I need to go through this? Because let me, let, let me put it to you like this. The beatings that you get that you need to get, those hurt well enough. Those are painful enough to just sit there. God is not into child abuse. Y'all should have said amen there. He is not in, he promises us that we are going to suffer. He promises us tribulation. He promises if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you are going to be person. He promises us those things. But he is not a child abuser. Again, you look at chapter 25 and, and, and Paul there, he decides that he is going to appeal to Caesar. Rather than be tried by Festus and these other folks, he's like, nah, man, I want to appeal to Caesar because that's my right. Because if he'd have been tried by these other people, things would have been unjust. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going through that in an unjust manner. Paul inevitably was martyred for the gospel, but he was martyred for the truth, not a lie. Did you hear me? He was martyred for the truth, not a lie. And so if you're going to get beat, if, if, when, when you walk in submission to stuff, when you, if you're going to go through that, 
You need to make sure that it's a beating that is necessary. It is one that God is leading you through and saying, hey, I got you through this. Let's walk through this together. Because on the other side of it, it's going to be glorious. You, you get beatings that you don't need, it's not glorious on the other side. Hello. There's no extra credit <laughs> for getting extra beatings. Hello, glory to God. Paul said, I mean, I mean, Peter says here, he says in verse 16, he says, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. He says, as free men, as people who have been liberated, this is how you live. But don't take your freedom as a cover-up. That's what he's saying. Don't take your freedom as a cover-up. Don't say, well, I'm free. And, 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 I, and I say this as a precursor to the stuff that I'm going to say. Husbands, don't take, you know, I'm free for the reason why you don't have to sacrifice and love your wives. Hello. And wives, glory to God. Do not take the, the, the position of, well, I'm free, so I don't need to submit to you. That's not Bible. That is not scripture. Do not take that mindset regarding government. Don't just drive down the road at 50 miles an hour in a 35 saying, I'm free. Yeah. Y'all going to find out how free you're not. <laughs> Those laws are there for a reason, glory to God. They're there to protect those around and to protect you as well. Don't, don't be crazy. Hello. But this is what he goes on to say. He says, not as, he says, not as a cloak of vice, but as bondservants of God. Understand this. You and I, if you're a Christian, if you are a missionary, if you are someone who is on, that, who, who is on the team, the gospel team, then you know what? You are a bondservant of Christ. You are one who is indebted to Christ. That's what you are. And here's what really happens, literally. We have been freed from the bondage of sin to the bond service of Christ. We come out of the bondage of sin. The reason why this is so important to understand, we come out of the bondage to sin to come into the bond service of Christ. Why? Because nobody, there is no one who does not have a master. Understand this. You, people may think you would, you, you would talk to people as you become more missional in your life and as you share the gospel more and you have more conversation with folk trying to lead them to Jesus. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find people say, man, you know, I'm not religious and I'm not this and, you know, I, I'm free. No, you're not. They're not free. Their master is the devil. No, I, I'm, I'm not into organized religion. Okay. That means you don't believe the Bible and that means you're being led by something else. Because the Bible, Scripture is what organized religion. Hello, somebody. It is what organized Christianity. It is what made things the way that they are. It's because what the Scriptures teach. Yeah, we got traditions all up in there, but here's the point. The point is, the Bible supports the religious system of Christianity. It supports that. And so when people say, oh, no, you know, I'm free. I, I, I'm not bound to anything. They're, they're lying to themselves. And so when you come out of darkness you come out of under the bondage of Satan, out of under the bondage of sin, you come into the bond service of Jesus. And so now you live a life that is different and that brings glory and honor to him. And I close with this here. It says in the last verse, in verse 17, he, clo he, he closes this point and we'll move on to servants and their masters, which would be a workplace situation when we deal with this next portion. But he says here, he says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. He says, honor all the people. That means honor everyone. Give honor to everyone. Jesus put on flesh. 
giving honor to all humanity. Let me say that again. Jesus put on flesh to give honor to every person that you may not like, to every person that you cannot stand. Jesus brought honor to them when he put that flesh on. Therefore, as a result, he showed how valuable humanity is. He died for all of humanity. This is what the scriptures teach. And so he gives a value. And you know what God says? God says, you and I, no matter, listen, the atheists, you need to honor them. That doesn't mean you agree with them. <laughs> don't get nervous on me, hallelujah. I can feel like, what do you mean, Bishop? Listen, you just don't agree with them. You, you, you don't agree with where they stand, but you honor them as a soul that has value to God. You honor them. That person that hates Christians, right? That person that is just so antagonistic. That person that, I mean, they just, you, they really just get under your skin, right? That person the Bible says, honor them. Show them that they have value. He goes on to say, love the brotherhood. So look around. Look around here. Look at those people that are in this place and think about the ones that you know that are Christians. He says to love them. He says to love them. Be loving them is the way that it is. Be continuously loving them. All the time loving them. Showing them the love of Christ. Care for them deeply. Be concerned about what they're going through. Praying for them. Lifting them up. He says, fear God and honor the king. Fear God and honor the king. And so we talked about the honor of the king. But to give that honor, to continually honor the king, I explained to you how you begin to give honor to those who are in government authority. It is by what? By beginning to pray for them. By beginning to seek God on their behalf. By beginning to do that. But can I say this? A heart that is conditioned by the fear of the Lord will honor those who need honor and love those who need to be loved. The key to that last part is fear God. Fear God. Fear him. Fear him. Reverence him. Because as you reverence him more and more, as you honor him more and more, as you become a person who stands in awe of him more and more, you begin to value his creation more. You begin to care about those who don't know Jesus, and, and you begin to care for those who love Jesus. You begin to look beyond those things where they fail and they fall short because it's not that you ignore them. Because here, 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 here is probably the greatest issue with many of us. It is that once we look over something and, 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 and we don't address it and we don't let it be a point of division, we never come back and revisit it. It doesn't make something not wrong. Here's what I'm saying. Am I going to let somebody who, who doesn't, who hates Christianity for whatever the reason, am I going to let that, their hatred for Christianity hinder me from honoring them and caring about them? Or am I going to try to share the gospel with them, deal with them, and then once they are converted, help them deal with the errors in their thoughts if after they become a Christian, they don't automatically repent of it? That's the issue. That is the issue. That's part of making disciples. Jesus did it with his disciples. He calls them, walks with them. You know, Peter jumps up and is like, man, you're never going to suffer. You're never going to go through this or whatever. He rebukes him. Satan, get behind me. He rebuked a false thought. He was like, don't think that way. He didn't let that divide them. He dealt with it. It becomes the same thing with our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
doesn't mean that we just forget about things that are wrong. It means that we allow the Holy Spirit to deal with our hearts. Let us walk in the fear of God and help each other grow in the grace of God as brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Let's all stand up to our feet and let us pray together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. I'm going to ask you to grab your neighbor's hand, please. And I will pray a general prayer, and I want you to pray for them. But as we bow our heads and we close our eyes, I said that there were two people in this place, right? There was the one that is the missionary, and there is the one that is the mission. And so if you're a missionary, then you're praying right now for everybody else that may not be a missionary. You're praying for those who are the mission. You may, be, you may be the mission. You know what's the most important thing for you if you're not a missionary and that you are the mission is that you acknowledge that you are the mission. You acknowledge that God is dealing with your heart and that you humble yourself before God and that you ask him to forgive you for your rebellion against him, for your disobedience to him, that you ask him to forgive you for those thoughts that hinder you from walking intimately with him, that you do that that you leave this place not the mission but a missionary Father right now we humble our hearts before you God and Lord we recognize that you are king supreme we recognize that you reign and you rule in righteousness we recognize that you are the holy one Lord God and we humble ourselves under you. We submit ourselves unto you and your leadership, God. And Father, I pray today for the missionaries that are in here, God, for every one of my brothers and sisters that have bowed their hearts to you, that have humbled themselves under you. God, may you give them the strength that they need in order to fulfill the mission, God, in order to continue forward, waging war against their flesh, overcoming, Lord God, and allowing for your spirit to reign and rule through them. Father, I pray for them if they have not been filled with your spirit, God, that you would fill them with your power right now my God that you would baptize them in your Holy Spirit that they would go forward Lord God as witnesses boldly empowered by you Lord God to share your gospel Jesus Lord, I pray for those that may have walked in here as the mission, my God, whether they don't know you or Heavenly Father, if they have called upon you but they still have not allowed you to change and transform their hearts, God, completely and becoming part of the mission. God, I pray first for them, Lord God that have called on your name, but there's something that's hindering them, Lord God, from becoming the missionaries you've called them to be. Whatever it is, if it is hurt, if it is offense, if it is bitterness, Lord God, if it is fear, if it's doubt, if it's bad doctrine, whatever it is, Lord God, uproot it and empower them, Lord God, from today forward to move on in the mission you've called them to, God. Heavenly Father, and I pray for those who come in here not knowing you God Father ones that may have been in church ever since they were babies or grew up in church or haven't been to church in forever whatever the case is God I just pray that you visit them with your love right now God that you draw them unto you and that you would grant them a heart that would turn away from their sin but more importantly unto you God that they would turn unto you with their lives understanding that they can do nothing to save themselves, God. 
that today would be a new day in their hearts and a new beginning in their lives. God, may each of us be missionaries that serve you well in our days. We give you all praise and we give you all glory for you alone are worthy, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, come on and give God a hand of praise.